Hey everybody, welcome back to another episode of Stamp and Chance. My name is Bobby Sampson and joined with me as always is the man with the master plan, Mr. Chance Michaels. Chance, how are you tonight, brother? Doing very, very well. How about you? Hey, can't complain. It's a beautiful night. Uh, the weekend is nearing and uh, what more could anybody ask for? Totally agree. Can't wait. So, so lots going on here. Uh, we, 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 we haven't been here for a little bit, but... Uh, Cesaro left the WWEA. Uh, That's a little bit of an older news piece, but something we haven't really discussed. And uh, kind of takes me back to that top five that you had brought out and asked me, you know, top five underrated wrestlers. And I had put Cesaro on that list. And uh, sure enough, you know, the man's had enough. Um, He quietly exited. Uh, And it's a good exit too for him. He doesn't have any compete clauses or anything holding him back. So he can show up anywhere he wants. We'll we'll see from him pretty soon. Yeah, I'm, I wouldn't be shocked. He shows up at AEW most likely. Um, that doesn't make sense for me personally to see him go to AEW. Uh, AEW has just got so much talent, and we've talked about this before, where it's just kind of so saturated. I mean, guys like yeah. Miro, who left the WWE because of the exact same kind of reasons that Cesaro left, he still hasn't really gotten. I mean, he did have the TNT title for a bit. Where is he now? He hasn't been on TV. He hasn't been no, in any yeah. storylines or anything. He's kind of completely lost. I totally forgot about the guy now that you say it. Say it. I haven't, I haven't thought of him for a while. I haven't seen yeah. him. Yeah, like they're constantly signing, signing, signing. I guess with the purchase of Ring of Honor, which was announced last night on Dynamite, uh, Tony Khan has bought Ring of Honor now. So he has the property rights, the entity rights to that. I don't know what they're going to do with it. Maybe that will open it up to some other talents to kind of go over that way. Um, curious to see how that's going to all work out. Are they going to merge it into one? Or are they going to keep it separate entities? What do you think? I'm not sure what he's going to do, actually. It kind of caught me off guard. So I'm not sure how they're going to play. They could go many different ways. I'm not sure. Maybe he's trying to revamp it, bring it to life, get it out to more of the mainstream. I'm not sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, this Sunday on the topic of AEW, we have Revolution coming out, uh, their pay-per-view offering. Uh, it's kind of cool to see these guys with their offerings. They're, they're kind of far and in between, you know, it's kind of more of the classical model, if you ask me, of the, just like, you know, four to five pay-per-views a year, the way it used to be, opposed to one every month, the way the Fed runs it. Uh, I kind of like it. I think it's kind of cool. It gives you a bit more time to build storylines and you know, kind of have a meaning, more meaningful type of pay-per-view. Uh, I've caught the last two or three that they've put out there. I've really enjoyed them. I thought they'd be really good shows. I'm kind of looking forward to this show as well. I'll be honest. I've never watched an AW pay-per-view. This one will be my first one. So hopefully I enjoy it. Should be yeah, good. Yeah, no, I, I fans will be watching it together. Uh, so, you know, hopefully we will come to you guys with a review show on that as well. But just to quickly run it down, if you don't mind, Chance, I'd like to run it down really quick. And, uh, you know, maybe I know you're limited with your AEW knowledge and and viewership, but I'm curious to see what your predictions are and to see, you know, if we were right or if we were wrong. So, again, in no particular order, first match that we got happening here tonight will be Hangman Page versus Adam Cole for the AEW heavyweight title. Uh, I'll start. I think Adam Page will win. AEW does have a history of keeping the belt on their champions. He's only had it for a couple months. He has beaten Daniel O'Brien as well. So I like. I, I think he will win it. I, I think there's more of a story arc for Adam Cole to travel before I kind of see him getting that. 
So that's my prediction. I really, I think Hangman's going to take that one. I agree with you on that one. I think that's what's going to happen. Another match which I'm kind of looking forward to a lot here as well is Dr. Britt Baker versus Thunder Rosa for the AEW women's title. Now, these women had an amazing fight uh, right before the pandemic ended uh, where crowds were allowed, or I, I'm not sure, I can't recall. But man, she had her stone cold moment there. Dr. Britt Baker, I'm referring to uh, that crimson mask that she wore. It's really rare to see women, you know, do color like that. Uh, yeah. especially especially at the higher level like that. So, you know, I'll, I'll give them that. That was an amazing match. Uh, Thunder Rosa is someone that's really, really impressed me continuously. Um, she, she also fights in MMA. Uh, she's just an amazing wrestler, man. I really have to say, like, I think right now she's probably in my top three pound-for-pound pound female wrestlers out there. She's just really, really good. Uh, that being said, she did get the win in a tag match this week on dynamite normally that would indicate that brit will win because she did get the pin on brit uh that being said brit's had the title for a while brit is probably the most over the most popular aew female superstar that they have but i yeah. think it's thunder rosa's time uh i'm gonna go out and say thunder rosa wins this match i think i agree with you for all the things you just said it sounds about right Fantastic. I mean, it happen, but I'm, assu I'm assuming thunder rosa is going to take that w well, that's what I'm assuming as well. That's what I'm thinking. Uh, tag team triple threat match here for the titles. Jurassic Express um, against the Young Bucks versus Red Dragon. So you got Jungle Boy and Luchasaurus versus basically the best tag team in the world in the Young Bucks and uh, Kyle O'Reilly and Bobby Fish, the Red Dragons. Um, well, the Young Bucks best tag team in the world. That's arguable, but they're really good though. I mean, right now... I would have to say, I would have to think that, you know, just their functionality, the way they work together, their chemistry, everything, that makes the Bucks what they are, man. You got to go back and watch some of their matches. Well, they're great, they're, they're great athletes. I'm not taking nothing away from them athletically, but they don't really appeal to me personally. Not, um, fair enough, man. Well, right you'll now, get your chance. They can slip around, they can jump, like nobody's business, but, you know, the mic work the, and, and the psychology, I just don't, they're just not my favorite tag team, although they're great. You know what I mean? Fair enough. Well, you know what? You'll probably get a good chance to see them this weekend. And, uh, you know, we'll ask you again what you think of them. Well, I've seen uh, them so many times. They're great, but it's just not my cup of tea. Okay, fair enough. Well, I think Jurassic Park is going to win this. It doesn't do any good for the Bucks to get the belts back. And I think uh, Red Dragon, like Adam Cole, I think there's a bigger story arc there for both those tag teams uh, going forward. So, you know, I think Jurassic Park kind of retains these and... Uh, live to see another title defense yeah then we come to the women's tbs women's title jade cargill versus tia conte um i think jade's gonna keep the belt uh she's just they've been building her up a lot you know she she's really talented i don't think she gets enough respect for for what she's capable of she's got a great physique she's got a great you know look uh she's good on the mic i think uh, she's yeah. kind of fun. She's kind of fun to watch. So I think they keep the belt on her. Nothing against Taya. She she's amazing. I don't think this would hurt her in any way. Um, but yeah, I, I'm gonna I'm gonna put this one on Jade. Um, then we get into some of these kind of more interesting matches. Uh, John Moxley versus Brian Danielson. This is gonna be a good one. This is gonna be a good one. Yeah, I'm looking forward to this one. Uh, I'm gonna say Brian wins. 
primarily for the fact that he lost to he lost to Hangman in that title match. Yeah. Um, you know, and then the match that he did have with Omega was a time limit draw. So he really hasn't had any success in the big matches. I mean, his record's pretty good, generally speaking, since he's come over to AEW. But in those big name matches, I don't think he's been able to shine fully. Uh, this is an opportunity for him to kind of get that win over Mox and kind of build that story up a bit more. I don't think it hurts Moxley. The one thing that people could argue is, well, Mox will get the win because he's coming back from his rehab stint and, you know, it'll be That's what I for think him. Gonna happen. I think Moxley yeah. takes it. Because he's been out for a while. Get him the win. Get him hot again. But Okay. So you go with Mox. I'm going to go with Brian just for the fact yeah. that I think based on his last two matches, he's due for that one big win. And the sh- and the match that I think is going to close the show here is going to be MJF versus CM Punk. Now this has been built up really, really well. Both these it's guys, great, yeah. yeah, both these guys are amazing on the stick. Uh, the storytelling of this has been absolutely amazing, especially the last two weeks. Um, MJF coming out two weeks ago and just having that very emotional promo that he cut, where he almost, you know, I believe he broke out into tears. You know, just talking about when he met CM Punk when he was a little kid, the picture of him with Punk and, you know, all that. And then Punk coming out this week and, you know, really kind of buying into it and MJF just destroying him. I mean, he left him in a bloody pile, man. It was just insane. Wow. MJF is amazing. Yes. The right thing to do here would put over MJF to keep building him up, but I, I see I see Punk winning it, you know. If this is um, kind of one of those things that he just got the shit kicked out of him that you know the week the eve of the pay-per-view so it's only you know makes sense that he'd probably win it so i would say i like to see mjf win myself personally but i would not be surprised in the least if it is cm you know my feelings on cm punk i'm going to mjf all the way here man i hope he takes it fantastic yeah man um then we come into the face of the revolution ladder match this is kind of interesting um just bringing up my notes here. Just a quick second, brother. Yep. Uh, here we go. Keith Lee versus Orange Cassidy versus Powerhouse Hobbs, Ricky Starks, Wardlow, Kristen Cage, or Ethan Page. That will be determined on Rampage. The winner of that match will get into this. Um, Keith Lee being the new guy in the group, a lot of people think he's going to win. I personally think Wardlow is going to win this ladder match. Um, they've been building him up. There's going to be, you know, he's slowly turning face. His actions, everything that he's kind of going through with MJF right now with the contracts and, you know, that whole storyline as well. So I think Wardlow is going to win this match hands down. Um, but I won't be surprised if they give it to Keith Lee just being the new guy on the block. I think Keith's going to take it. Good way to introduce yeah. him, you know. Yeah. You know, Wardlow, it's between Lee and Wardlow for sure. I yeah, want Lee. Yeah. To, we'll see. Yeah, yeah. And then there's a couple other matches here as well. Now, these matches might be on the pre-show. They may be on the main card. I'm not sure. We got Andrado, El Idolo, Isaiah Cassidy, and Matt Hardy versus Darby Allen, Sammy Guevara, and Sting. Um, That'll be fun. It should be an interesting match. Uh, the story, again, all these matches have great stories. Yeah. You know, um, if you've been following Dynamite, if you've been following it, you, you the progression of all these stories has just been absolutely amazing. So these are all really good matches. But I think Alan, Alan Guara and uh, Sammy and uh, Sting win this match hands down. 
Agreed. Yeah. Or do it though. Yeah, yeah. And last but not least, you got Eddie Kingston versus Chris Jericho. It's gonna be an interesting one. I think Kingston wins. Jericho yeah, puts him over. You know, it's gonna be uh it's gonna be it's gonna be a hard match, man. It's it's gonna be very tough. I think it's gonna be very snug. I think it's gonna be it's gonna be very hard, man. They're gonna enjoy the those. Jericho enjoy the Jericho matches while you can. He's in his early fifties, he's slowing down out there and uh Enjoy it. If you're a fan of Jericho, watch all his matches now because you never know when his last one's going to be. He's early 50s, right? So, yeah, Jericho's enjoy. looking good for his age, man. He looks oh, great. No, I'm not denying know, that, but uh, early 50s, you know, can't, can't go forever. No, one nobody back, can. Bump, nobody right? can. Nobody can, man. But you know what? For, for what he's accomplished in wrestling, uh, for the constant evolution and, and rebirth of character, I, you know, I, I, I personally feel that he's one of the best. He's, he's, I don't you know, agree. I don't think so. He's great, but I don't think he's one of the best. No, I think he's one of the best. I mean, we can sit here and debate about that, you know. I don't even think he's top ten all the time. I don't have him top ten. He's good. I'm not saying he's not a legend and he's not a Hall of Famer, absolutely. And he's great at what he does, but what do you base your criteria on them? Uh you know, uh look, character, uh mic work, in-ring work, selling out arenas. I mean, he was never a big draw like Hogan or Rock or Austin. There's no way. Yeah, but that's though no one. I don't think any wrestler could ever be as big as those three are. Andre, you know what I mean? There's five guys right there. So how, where are you going to put them? Number six, number seven? Yeah, I mean, number six, number seven. Absolutely. I mean, you, you got to take into account everything that you said that your criteria is. He's excelled at. He's done well at all of it. Yeah, but his he's, he's work never, is amazing. His, his, his ability to, to evolve his character. And, oh, and he's not a great know, character. You know? I'm not so, so, no, no, I understand that, but it doesn't, right, right, but based on your criteria, it doesn't make sense to me when you're saying that he's not top 10. I mean, everything he's, everything you say, I, it, he's done really, really well. well I'm not he, saying he could be top five, but, you know, he's definitely top 10 in my Well, opinion. he's definitely not top five. There's no way in hell. Yeah, I'd, give, argue, I'd give him top 10. top 10, but I, I don't think so. Maybe top 15, but not top 10. Not in my book, but everybody will have a different top 10, right? Well, you know what? I guess maybe we need to do a little bit of homework and come back with our top tens and kind of debate them. Rip it off right now. Give me your top ten of all time. Let's hear it. Uh, top ten of all time. I would have to go with Bret Hart. Mm -hmm. I'd have to go with Ric Flair. I'd have to go with The Undertaker, Triple H. Where am I at? Number four? Five? Yeah, four. Four. Uh, I'm going to throw Jericho in there just to spite you. Right. <laughs> and, uh, ooh. Now this is where it starts to get tough. Uh, probably The Rock, Austin, mm -hmm. as well. That's uh, six, seven, that's eight. That's seven. That's seven. Three more for me. I would have to say... Hmm. It's, this is where it kind of gets kind of tough now. Okay, well, let me give you my top ten What you think of yours. This is, yeah. I think, top ten all time, not necessarily my favorites. This is what I think. In no order, Hogan, Rock, Austin, Shawn Michaels, Bret Hart, Andre the Giant, um, Undertaker, uh, Triple H, uh, Sting, um, and Flair. So I don't have Jericho anywhere there. I could probably put in a few other guys. Now, a lot of people disagree with me. A lot of people agree. That's what makes it fun, right? Everybody has a different flavor, a different taste. You're not right. You're not wrong. And neither am I. It's all personal. No, opinion. no, it's all it's all what it is, man. I mean, yeah. you know, it's good for a spirited debate and whatnot. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that's what yeah, works. Don't get me wrong. Jericho is a Hall of Famer. He's an amazing talent. I'm not knocking him. I'm just saying, in my book, he's not a top ten. But 
No, in my book, he is, man. Yep. Fair enough. If you don't like it, you and I can meet in the ring one day and, you know, settle our differences, brother. Yeah. (laughs) But, hey, man, that's what makes Samp and Chance so great. Samp believes Mm -hmm. one thing. Chance believes in something else. Mm -hmm. But we're here together. I'm a Pepsi guy. You're a Coke guy. Yeah. So, you know. Foreign cars, American cars, you know. You like American cars. I like foreign cars, you know. Mm -hmm. So, but that's what makes us beautiful, man. We were able to come together and, uh, you know, respect each other's choices, respect each other's views. If we agreed on everything, this would be a boring podcast. Ain't nobody want to hear it. Yeah, nobody would want to hear that shit. No, no. Got to have a little back and forth. It's fun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So AEW had their has Revolution coming up this weekend. We will be watching that, and like I said earlier. Hopefully we, well, not hopefully, I think we'll be able to do a review show on that for you and get that out for you guys. Uh, this past weekend, Sap and Chance were at the All-Star Wrestling Show in Abbotsford. Uh, first show that I've been to since the pandemic. Um, have you been Me to too. anything before that? Yeah. It was an amazing show. It was really cool. Uh, yeah, a, rainy, a rainy Saturday night in Abbotsford. Beautiful crowd. It sold out. You know, it was really good. Um, some great matches throughout and out. Really good card. In particular, one man in particular, Mr. Beefy Goodness himself, Vance Nevada. He was there performing twice that night. We got to watch him live, and uh, I was thoroughly impressed by this man. He blew my mind, and um, you know, I can't wait to see him in action again. It was really fun to watch, man. What did you get out of that show? I enjoyed it. My kid enjoyed it. I thought it was great. Family fun entertainment, good matches, good action, sold out place. Mm-hmm. We had a following up to that. We had a great podcast and interview with uh, Beefy Goodness that everybody's going to love. Yeah. Speaking of Beefy Goodness. So we did sit down with him and we, we had a wonderful conversation. We talked about his career. We talked about the cauliflower, the cauliflower alley club. Uh, we talked about, this work he's done as a wrestling historian, the books that he's written. Yeah, the wrestling encyclopedia. Holy cow. Oh, absolutely. Um, this past weekend, we were witness to his 43rd title win, which makes him the winningest professional wrestler in Canada. Canadian professional wrestler, I should say, sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, he beat out Leo Burke for that record, which was set in 1991. So an amazing accomplishment for this young, for, for this man. Absolutely. Yeah. Great guy, super friendly. He's a wrestling encyclopedia. If you want to know about wrestling, call that guy, because he'll tell you, he knows everything. Yeah, so everybody, you know what? Please sit back, relax, grab your popcorn, grab your drinks, grab your snacks. And as I always like to say to all our fans, ladies and gentlemen, thank you for letting us into your years. I know there's a lot of options out there for you guys. And uh, thank you for choosing Samp and Chance. Thank you for all all the support that we've been getting so far. Uh, we're really happy with, with the people that are tuning in and listening. Uh, it's really important for all of you guys to like and subscribe and leave a comment, please. Let us know how we can be better, how we can do things better. Um, Please leave a review on Spotify and Apple as well. All this will help us to create better things, to do better things for you guys and bring more content out to you guys as well. So that being said, uh, before we start, we did have a little bit of a technical difficulty while we started this show. Uh, Unfortunately, we had some equipment issues, so we apologize for that. 
uh, that being said, we're learning as we're going. We're we're still fairly new at this, but you know what? That's no excuse. We will make it better with every episode. So please sit back, relax, and enjoy the interview with Mr. Beefy Goodness himself, Vance Nevada. Thank you. Hey, hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of Samp and Chance. I am your host, Bobby Sampson. Uh, we're just waiting on Chance Michaels to join us tonight. Uh, hopefully he can make it here. Joining us tonight, though, is a very, very special guest. Uh, we're very lucky to have with us a man who broke Leo Burke's record of 42 title reigns, the most by any Canadian pro wrestler by winning the ASW Tag Team Championships with Adam Ryder this weekend. And Samp and Chance were at that show. We were in the second row. We got to see this man perform twice that night, a treat for everyone in the arena. Um, Award-winning writer, a historian, and a pro wrestler. Ladies and gentlemen, the one and only Mr. Beefy Goodness himself, Vance Nevada. Vance, thank you very, very much for taking out time of your schedule to join us tonight. How are you? Absolutely. My pleasure to be here, and I'm doing great. How's the body feeling after this weekend? You know what? The uh, it, it, it's always rough. Yeah. <laughs> I think Nick Nick Bockwinkle said it best: is you know when you when you know how to fall, it hurts. No, 100%. If you don't know how to fall, you're retired. Isn't that the first thing you learn? You learn it very early. Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Yeah. 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 Absolutely. It's a, it's a very grueling sport. Uh, yeah. I think you know when I broke in, it was much different even than today. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the, the primary objective of the, the veterans at that time were to discourage you and send you home, um, mm-hmm. because there really was a, you know, the industry was very protected and it was hard to get in. So the first six months that I was training, it was all with the intent in mind that, you know, we're going to discourage this guy enough. So he doesn't want to do it anymore. Yeah. They uh, want to break your spirits and those who, who remain standing are the ones that are going to get in. Absolutely. There was, uh, I think, 10 people that broke in that year. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the year, there was just me. Well, fantastic. Well, I'm glad it was only you because uh, for the last 29 going on to 30 years here, you've entertained a lot of people. Um, I guess the first thing I really want to know is how does a a man from a small community in Manitoba fall in love with the sport? You know what? It it happened, uh, you know, pretty organically. Uh, You know, professional wrestling was uh, always on. I remember being, uh, you know, my, my dad was from a big family. He had five brothers. My mom was from a big family. She had seven siblings and, and four of those were brothers. Uh, and both my grandparents, uh, both, both my granddads on my mom's and my dad's side loved wrestling. So, you know, it didn't matter where you were at any family function, wrestling was on somewhere or, or, or an uncle had a pinup of a wrestler up in his, in his bedroom or whatever the case was. So it was, you know, very early I got interested and, uh, uh, you know, and this is back to, you know, the AWA in Winnipeg with the fabulous ones, Stan Lane and Steve Kern. Nice. They were probably the first tag team that really, you know, caught my attention. Okay, fantastic. Awesome. Um, where, where did you catch the uh, bug to kind of want to follow this path? How did that you know, it was when I was in uh, seventh grade, you know, I was just, uh, you know, doodling kind of mindlessly hey, on a notebook. Okay. 
So just doodling on. Yeah, and you know, kind of sketching some wrestlers in a you know wrestling scene. And the the kid sitting next to me says, "Oh, you like wrestling? My cousin's a wrestler." And I said, "Oh, no way." He says, "Yeah, my cousin is Chichi Cruz." And uh, I said, "You're a liar," because I've seen Chichi Cruz on TV. He's from East LA. Yeah. He says, "No, he's from Hartney, Manitoba." You know, and then uh, suddenly the idea that, uh, you know, being a wrestler wasn't this abstract thing that, you know, you had to be, you know, American or from a big city. You know, there was, you know, Chi Chi Cruz was from Hartney, Manitoba, which was the next town over from me. Uh, and it is a town of about four or five hundred people. Um, Eddie Watts, uh, who had a very, very good career internationally in Mexico and Puerto Rico in particular. Uh, you know, he and also time out here in Vancouver for all star wrestling in the 80s. He was from Verdun, Manitoba, which was about an hour away from me. So suddenly it was, uh, you know, here, here are these guys that are excelling at a very high level in the industry, and they're from rural Manitoba too. And so that kind of made the, the goal real for me. Okay. Uh, and so I actually uh, trained with uh, Ernest Rowe, right. who was the guy that had uh, assisted breaking both of those guys in, and mm-hmm. he helped uh, get the wheels turning for me at the, at the early part of my career. Fantastic, fantastic. So you started wrestling... Your first match um, was was May thirteenth, uh, nineteen ninety three. That was number one of one hundred one thousand five hundred and seventy three matches to date. Um, when you started, what was your goal? What was what was the goal for you at that point when you started to where your goals are set now? What's the evolution of that? You know, I think a lot of people when they get in the in the industry and and you know, certainly was the case for me is you know, you want to get to the top, you want to get to the top of the business. You want to wrestle for the WWE. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, at that point, you know, when you set that goal, you don't really realize the scope of the independent scene or how much opportunity exists. And, mm-hmm. you know, as, as I wrestled in my career, you know, I have had an opportunity to be called up uh, for extra work for the WWE in 2004. Uh, but in the meantime, you know, now there was opportunities to tour and travel and go to, communities in Canada that I would never have any reason to go to otherwise, uh, right, you know, right. be introduced to them. So, you know, across the frozen lakes into Northern Manitoba and into the Northwest territories, coast to coast in Canada, you know, to little remote, seemingly abandoned towns in West Virginia, yeah. you know, all over the place. So I think, you know, over time, you know, the, the goal definitely did change. And, and now at this stage of my career, it's just to pass on as much knowledge as I can in the time that I have left in the industry. Right. So over 1500 matches, um, how is your body? Like how much have you endured and any major injuries? Um, where, where, where do you stand? You know, it's funny. Cause you know, when I'm, when I talk to people very often, I say, I feel very fortunate because I haven't had to have any, uh, you know, knee surgeries or sh- shoulder surgeries, which are pretty common. Uh, for wrestlers and many guys that I've wrestled with, you know, they're, they're, they're on their, their fourth or fifth knee surgery and I haven't had to deal with that, but right. every now and then I'll, I'll put the laundry list together of, uh, of surgeries and corrective procedures that I've had done. And uh, people are like, wow. And you feel lucky. Uh, yeah. I'd say probably the most serious uh, for me is I have a spinal fusion L4 to L6 Oh, wow. uh, because the discs uh, on either side of L5 had completely deteriorated. Yeah. Uh, so now I'm operating. I'm bionic now. I've got two steel pins in there. Okay, can we uh, please? 
and I have sure. a bit of a deficit in my neck as well. Oh, wow. Yeah, because I was watching you work this weekend and you were taking some serious bumps there. And that's not, you know, um, that's not a really forgiving ring either from the sounds of it, from what I heard. I didn't get to walk in it, but, you know, just from the sound and whatnot. I'm, do you, how do you recover? <laughs> I, I, <laughs> a, lot, a lot more slowly than I did 10 years ago. Yeah, yeah, for uh, sure, for sure. That. Yeah. Um, so throughout your career, you you were you you've able to do some work with with some of the bigger promotions. Do you want to share some of those highlights? Any good stories that you have that came out of that time? Uh, you know what? I think the first opportunity that I had to work with uh, Atlantic Grand Prix Wrestling and and promoter Emile Dupree mm-hmm. uh, was definitely a highlight uh, because early on, you know, I'd heard about you know the the summer long tours and wrestling seven days a week and. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and at, at the territory's height, you know, unfortunately, I didn't get a chance to work for the company then, mm-hmm. you know, when they were wrestling nine matches a week, including, you know, TVs and, and uh, had two crews running because they had so much demand, mm-hmm. um, you know, for, for wrestling events in their summer season, which is, you know, when they ran. Right. Uh, but working for Emile Dupree was a real treat because, uh, you know, Emile started wrestling in the 1950s mm-hmm. and, I worked for him in 2001, but he was still very much old school. So when you went to wrestle for him and you're wrestling at the Shady Ack Arena in New Brunswick, mm-hmm. the, you know, the good guy locker rooms on that side of the arena and the bad right. guy locker rooms on that side of the arena, and you're not going to see each other until you meet in the ring. Okay. okay. Uh, which is certainly not the, the custom that we're used to now. Yeah. It's uh, very different today. Yeah. So it was really, really a great experience and uh, very interesting to see the way that his uh, his mind operated in terms of uh, both promotion and presentation of wrestling. Awesome. Uh, a bit of the old school, new school. Since you kind of came in with the old school and you're now a part of the new school, per se, how much has the industry changed, in your opinion, being in it yourself as a as a mark, as a fan myself? I can see a see it from my perspective, but you're you're in the heart of it. So, w- how much has it changed? Is it changed for the better, or do you think it it's gone backwards? How how would you perceive it? Uh, I think that there's, you know, if I've talked to my good friend Darren Metzler, what he would say is, well, the business isn't better or worse; it's just different. Uh, yeah. Hey, uh, yeah, we're we're joined here now with Chance. You finally made it on. How you doing, Chance? Good, good. Good, good. Sorry to interrupt. Uh, yeah, no, no problem. Uh, so just to fill you in, we're talking about the evolution of wrestling from the old school to the new school. Is it better? Is it worse? And Vance was just kind of giving us his take on that. Cool. Yeah. Think, yeah. When you look at, you know, wrestling in the 80s, I remember Eddie Watts telling me he was working in the Maritimes uh, and they were filling arenas every night. And, you know, I'd say when you look fast forward 30 years to today, very seldom are we working in arenas. Now we're working in small halls and, uh, you know, 300 fans is considered a win. 300 fans is considered a great house. Um, I've got a newspaper clipping here from Chilliwack in the sixties where they had only 750 people turn out to wrestling one night. And the local promoter said, we're going to discontinue wrestling in Chilliwack because obviously it's dead. Uh, (laughs) uh, They were disappointed with 750 people in the building. Uh, you know, if you had 750 people out for independent wrestling now, promoters would be doing cartwheels in their underwear in the parking lot. 
so, you know, there's definitely a change in scope mm -hmm. uh, that has happened. Uh, mm -hmm. But, you know, on the other end, you know, culturally, some of the things that have happened that are very positive is, you know, and, and very seldom will I put over the benefits of political correctness, but in the, in the course of all of those things happening and the wrestling industry being more vocal about, you know, uh, inappropriate behaviors, the wrestling industry is a lot more, uh, uh, the people within the wrestling industry are a lot more reputable now than they ever were. Uh, and yeah, so it's I, great I understand that. Um, but it's it's hard it's hard for me to kind of you know like I get what you're saying and I understand it completely, but to cancel guys now you know even though all these stories have been out for years like the I'm I'm kind of referring to the flight from hell, you know sure. um, we all know what happened that flight you know and all of a sudden it's just because of the current climate they want to cancel Ric Flair they want to cancel that, um. I, I almost feel that a lot of what used to be was normal. I get it. It's not right. It, it wasn't what it was, but that was what the business was. And I'm happy that it's evolved to where we are today. But I, I don't see how we can, you know, I don't agree with the bashing of, of the old school based on what they did in a time where these things were not considered what they are today. Yeah, I, I can definitely see what you're what you're saying, you know, as it relates to a, a Ric Flair situation. So we're yeah. going to cancel them today over something that happened 20 years ago. Yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. You know, yeah, there's there definitely does, that doesn't feel like justice to me. No. Uh, but, you know, if you're considering some of the other the other things that we learned about this season on the, you know, the dark side of the ring. Yeah. Guys like Grizzly Smith and behaviors yeah. like that that were occurring mm -hmm. in the industry mm -hmm. that it was just you know, considered to be, you know what, shut your mouth. It's none of your business. Yeah. Uh, look the other way. Uh, now those things don't happen. And, uh, you know, those types of people are being outed justifiably. Kind of interesting. Um, you know, Mula was considered kind of a madam of sorts back in the day. Some of the things that she and, you know, she, she did. I'm surprised that hasn't really come up as much as all the other stuff. Yeah. And I don't think that it's, it was as, as widespread. I mean, in the case of Moolah, you saw a lot of people come out in the industry and, and to her defense. Mm -hmm. uh, so, you know, yeah, we trained and lived, you know, at the, at the compound where in South Carolina with Moolah and we never saw any of those types of behaviors. So yeah, again, you know, for, it's all for, for one out of a hundred girls to come forward and say, this was my yeah. experience. Yeah. Mm. Fair enough. Fair enough. That. And you know what? It's, it's not fair because she's not here to defend herself. So, Rest yeah. in peace, Mula. Rest in peace. Um, Chad, here's your chance, man. Glad to be back. So uh, thanks for joining us, Vance. I really appreciate you taking the time to join us. Yeah, absolutely. My, my pleasure. Most appreciated. So you're resting this story. Is there any facts or knowledge that the audience should know that we don't know about, about that would be cool that you think we should know? You're like an encyclopedia yeah. of wrestling, right? I think there's so much stuff. I mean, you know, definitely, you know, we know that, uh, you know, Canada was the innovator of the ladder match. Uh, 2022 marks the 50th anniversary of the ladder match. Uh, so, you know, that's exciting. You know, that now it's become almost a staple of, of any high risk wrestling uh, event. You know, WWE has, has featured it heavily and, 
you almost can't uh, go a month without seeing a ladder match on some indie show somewhere. Uh, and that's a Canadian innovation. So that's, that's pretty exciting. Uh, Where did that come right from? Uh, the first one took place in Calgary between Dan Crawford, who's an Anaimo boy, mm -hmm. uh, against Tor Kamada. Okay. And uh, yeah, start the latter match started in Stampede Wrestling. Cool. Fantastic. Fantastic. Very cool. Um, yeah. how, how did you get into the whole historian part of it? Where 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 did that start for you? Because you you your your repertoire you know, of, of knowledge and the things that you've contributed to a lot of different texts and, and uh, staff books and whatnot, where, where did you decide or how did that come about where you started doing that? And was it something you saw yourself building towards built? No, actually, you know, and I, and I joke with people all the time that if I realized how big of a job it was, I never would have started uh, because it's become all consuming. But uh, how it began was, um, in 1994, uh, I was 18 years old and uh, working on television for River City Wrestling. And at the time, I was living in Brandon, Manitoba, the two hours out of Winnipeg, and I didn't see the television uh, because it didn't. It was only for shock cable access within the city. Okay. So I had to make like a special point to like come into the city and stay with friends, and they would tape the show, and I would get a chance to watch it back. And it was actually in the commentary of one of my matches that they had mentioned Ernie Rowe, who was the guy that had broken me in. And they said, yeah, Ernie Rowe was a longtime tag team partner of Frenchie Champagne uh, in the old days of the club brand from 1952 to 67 in Winnipeg, I later learned. Uh, and a lot of guys came through the Madison club and went on to become international stars. So, Moose Murawski came through the Madison Club. Gil Hayes, who was a big uh, heel with Stampede Wrestling for years, uh, came out of the Madison Club. Kurt and Carl Von Steiger came out of there. Bulldog Bob Brown came out of there. So there was a lot of talent that came out of the Madison Club. And, uh, you know, it piqued my curiosity. And actually, I'd started doing the history because I wanted to find some of these rare press clippings of my trainer and kind of put them together and give them to him in tribute. And uh, as I got into it, I realized that the story of him being involved with the Madison Club was completely fictitious. He was never there. Uh, in fact, probably before he trained me, he'd only had probably had about a couple of dozen matches. Right. <laughs> but in the meantime, I, I discovered all of these other, you know, intriguing characters that, you know, you know, I recognized the whole this guy was, you know, started in Winnipeg, but then he went on to the AWA or this guy started here and went on to Stampede. Um, and it just kind of like started the ball rolling. So now, um, since 1994, I've been able to track down the, the lineups and results for more than 56,000 events wow. that have taken oh. place in Canada from 1876 to the present. Wow. How does one find this? It's, it's sick, man. <laughs> uh, Microfiche? You know, I, you know, I was pretty fortunate because, uh, you know, being an active wrestler, I was touring all the time. So what I would do is, is piggyback my wrestling bookings with opportunities to get into libraries. So okay. if I knew that I was going to be wrestling in Regina and they needed me at the building for five o'clock, well, I'd get to Regina at 11 o'clock in the morning and go to the library for five hours Wow! and be cool. scribbling down results from, uh, you know, old newspapers, uh, you know, for a few hours into these notebooks of scribbled results in shorthand. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, get back to the, the hotel that night or get home and transcribe it all. And now then 
later on with laptops, you could take your laptop right in there and save yourself a step. But uh, it, yeah, that's how it began. And it certainly was not as easy as it is now with so many newspapers being online and uh, being able to keyword search something. You were like, like hand cranking that microfilm machine to try to find the sports page and and then look every line to try to find the ad for the show or the coverage from the, the show the night before. That's awesome, man. That's that's wicked. Um, through your work as a historian now, uh, you, you've won awards as well. Uh, one that kind of stands out is a James C. Mellaby Historian Award from the Cauliflower Club. Uh, how did you get involved with the Cauliflower Club and what's that like? In the Cauliflower Alley Club, you know, I can't say enough good things about it. Um, and that was before I even knew the mission of the club. Uh, so the Cauliflower Alley Club uh, was actually uh, created in the 60s mm-hmm. by a, a wrestler turned actor named Mike Mazurki. Okay. And uh, uh, so Mike was a, was a wrestler who traveled all over Canada and the United States. Uh, and then he was based out of Los Angeles and, you know, being, a, you know, a wrestler and, and, you know, having a good form, very similar to the rock in the modern age, uh, became an attraction and a curiosity for the film industry. And then he transitioned and became an actor and stuntman in film. Uh, but because he had done so well in his own life, you know, whenever he'd go down to the wrestling matches, if a wrestler had fallen on hard times, they would go and see Mike Mazurki and they'd say, hey, you know what, I lost my job or, you know, I'm behind on my mortgage payments or whatever the case is, my, my car just broke down. And uh, Mike Mazurki would kind of make it a, a, a social mission where he'd say, okay, well, you know, hey, our friend here needs $2,000 for whatever challenge he's facing. I'm in for 500. What can I count you in for? Yeah. And he would kind of pass the hat among the wrestlers very informally and the wrestlers would take care of their own oh, uh, and help each other out. So over time, this, this has evolved to an organization where now there's more than 1000 members worldwide. Um, and every year the cauliflower alley club gets together for a reunion in Las Vegas. And the reunion is just a fantastic event in itself, where as soon as you show up and put your name badge on, you are one of the one of the boys in the industry. Mm-hmm. And it's not like a fan fest. Uh, if you've got your cauliflower alley name badge on and you happen to fall in step with Jerry Briscoe on your way to breakfast, and you say, hey, Jerry, can you want to join us for breakfast? Well, next thing you know, you're having breakfast with Jerry Briscoe. Awesome. Uh, but uh the, the reunion in itself is a, is a great event. It happens every year in Las Vegas. So they have some, some awards and awards dinners and, and things like that, but also a seminar series for young wrestlers to learn from the legends and the veterans in the business. And then just lots of fun stuff. So you might find yourself playing cribbage with Harley Race. Well, not anymore, but at one point, yeah, yeah. You, might, might, you might be bowling with uh, WWE producer Adam Pierce. Uh, just such an immersive environment in the culture of wrestling Mm -hmm. Um, and they do so much that is really unheralded in terms of helping out wrestlers that have fallen on hard times so maybe it's a medical situation particularly in the united states where they're paying for all of those types of surgeries someone needs a hip replacement or a knee replacement that's you know several thousand dollars Mm -hmm. Um, or maybe someone has fallen ill and now has fallen behind on on their mortgage payments and are at risk of losing their home. And so, you know, the club very quietly and, and, you know, discreetly, you know, certainly not to, to advertise what they do, but they're probably issuing right now about $110,000 a year in 
relief support money to professional wrestlers. That's fantastic. Uh, yeah. So it's a, it's a club that I've uh, grown very fond of. And uh, I was introduced to it by Bob Leonard, who was a promoter and photographer in Regina. Sure. And we found out that I had an appreciation for, you know, where wrestling had come from. He said, I think you would really enjoy the Cauliflower Alley Club. Mm-hmm. And I became a lifetime member in 2010 and uh, try to get to the reunion as often as I can. Can anybody become a part of the Cauliflower Club? Yeah, absolutely. So if you go to uh, caulifloweralleyclub.org, uh, you have the opportunity to sign up to become an annual member or a lifetime member. Cool. And uh, either way, you, you get the uh, quarterly newsletter and it keeps you up to date on what's happening with the club and when the, up, when, when the reunion is happening and who you might expect to meet there. And it's, uh, yeah, it's a really great organization. That's awesome. When is the next reunion? Do you know? Or has it been the next reunion will be typically it's been held in uh, April mm-hmm. uh, last year because of uh, COVID delays. Uh, it t- took place in September. Okay. Uh, it looks like it will be in September again this year. Okay. Okay. Fantastic. Um, you've also trained some of the uh, more famous guys that are out on the scene these days. Uh, Kyle O'Reilly. Uh, Kenny Omega, the Bollywood boys. Uh, what was that like? And how, how do you feel like a proud papa when you see them work now? And uh, you know what? Every experience was different. Uh, you know, because when you're when you're training talent, you never have any idea how far they can go. Um, mm-hmm. You know, with Kenny Omega, you know, I vividly remember his first time in a ring. Um, you know, I believe before I met him there was sort of a group of friends and himself that were doing uh, backyard wrestling. Okay. Uh, and when he showed up, it was one of his friends that had made the transition and actually went pro that uh, brought him down and made the introduction. And uh, uh, Kenny Omega was a natural from the very beginning. And I can remember being in the ring instructing and uh, he was on the apron talking to somebody and kind of goofing off. And uh, so I thought, well, he's not paying attention. Let me put him on the spot and uh, have him come in here. So I said, this is what we've just done. Please come in here and demonstrate it for the group. And without having taken a lesson or, or paid attention to the lesson, he came in and aced it textbook on his first delivery. And so that was a, a learning moment that did really didn't pan out the way that I had envisioned. But, uh, he, you know, he was always a hard worker. Um, you know, something that I noticed very early was he always had this very unique vision about what he wanted to do and how he wanted to do it. And uh, so some of the things that you even see him implementing into his repertoire today, you know, 20 years ago, I was a guy saying, I don't understand what it is you're doing. And I don't think the industry is going to understand it. Uh, so you might want to change it. And so fortunately, he didn't listen to me and, uh, you know, went his own way and it took maybe a little bit longer than, than some, but, uh, you know, last year he was like pro wrestling illustrated, uh, ranked number one wrestler in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so but I, I guess uh, with most of his career in Japan, you know, it's not until he actually came here that he started to get recognized unless he were a real a hardcore wrestling fan until he came, not many people knew who he was. Yeah, you know what? He actually had his first opportunity. He was actually in the WWE developmental system yeah, uh, years yeah. ago. So mm-hmm. he had gone to a Harley race camp and uh, was discovered there by John Laurinaitis. And with his curly hair and you know his physique and his stature, Laurinaitis said that uh, Omega reminded him of Brian Pillman. 
Yeah, yeah, I and see so that. They up and sent him down to, you know, Deep South, which was sort of a precursor to NXT. Mm -hmm. And he was in that developmental system for about a year when he realized, you know, I'm, this isn't a fit for me. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, he left and went his own way. Yeah, yeah. Oh, fantastic. Cool. So, Vance, let's get into your character a little bit. How did beefy goodness Vance Nevada come about? You know what? It was, uh, it's probably one of my favorite stories because it was the biggest fluke that ever was. Uh, you know, for the first eight years of my career, I was always like throwing ideas at the wall, trying to trying to come up with a character that would be, uh, you know, have people have it recognized, like, you know, on the tip of their tongue, like Mr. Wonderful Paul Orndorff or Jesse the Body or Macho Man Randy Savage. And, you know, nothing really stuck. You know, tried a bunch of different things. And um, one night we were wrestling in uh, Prince Albert, Saskatchewan. And the promoter said, hey, go out there because you're, you know, really good with, uh, you know, antagonizing the crowd. Get on the microphone and say a few words and, and stir people up. And uh, so I said, yeah, no problem. And then one of the other wrestlers came to me and said, hey, are you going to you're going to go on the microphone tonight? And I said, yeah. He said, my sister is in the crowd tonight and it's the first time she's ever been to live wrestling. So if you could give her a hard time, that would make my day. So I'm like, yeah, point her out and give her a hard time. So I got her on the microphone and started giving her a hard time and, you know, suggesting that she was only there to see me and, you know, she wanted to eat me for lunch and all of these types of things. And uh, she was so embarrassed that the next time we came back to Prince Albert, Saskatchewan, as soon as my music hit, she ran and hid uh, like behind the back row of chairs. She was like crouched down way back in the back of the hall where she didn't think I could see her. So I was doing my interview that night. And uh, as I was about to hand the microphone back, she thought she was safe and she popped up and was going back to her seat. And I said, whoa, 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 whoa. Look at this girl skulking around in the back of the hall over here. Referee, you got to keep an eye on her because she's going to try to come in this ring and grab two handfuls of my beefy goodness. Oh, wow. <laughs> and to this day, I don't even know like where that phrase came into my mind. But when I hand the microphone back, I turned around and my opponent was standing in the corner and he was laughing so hard he was a long-haired guy fortunately he had his hair thrown out over the front of his face and you could just see his shoulders doing the old twitch and we had yeah. to delay the, start of the match by two or three minutes until he could get his composure and when i went back to the locker room that night you know all the other guys in the locker room were like haha beefy goodness ha, ha, ha. this is great right so yeah he showed up for the uh, show the next night we were on a five-night tour and they said hey do that beefy goodness thing again and by the end of the week, it had stuck. Mm -hmm. And uh, we knew we were onto something. It just, it was so amusing to people. And, uh, you know, sometimes it happens that way, just very, very spontaneously and organically. And then over time, you know, working with different promoters and bookers, you know, the different elements of the character came together, you know, like the tearaway pants and the bright colored trunks. Um, you know, I can't take credit for any of that. Um, you know, there was a booker in, in that promotion in, Sask in Saskatchewan and Saskatoon uh, who came up with the idea of the tearaway pants. And uh, his name is James Scott. He's now left the wrestling industry. I think he's producing films in England now. Oh, wow. But uh, just, I've had the opportunity to work with like some real creative geniuses uh, over the course of my career, whether, you know, other wrestlers or bookers or promoters. Uh, and it's really helped to create you know just sort of this the whole package that you see today fantastic uh, about your ring gear how how did you like you know you had people obviously helping you and whatnot create help you with that creation 
But I, I love the underwear, man. I, mm -hmm. I think that that was the oh, best yeah. wrestling trunks I've ever seen in my life. I've been watching wrestling for 30 years plus myself. And I got to say, that's the first time I have ever seen anyone wear underwear ring gear. That's awesome, man. The pink with the beefy on the back was brilliant. Oh, on, on brilliant. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, it, you know, it began uh, because at that time, this is like early 2000s or 2001, 2002, the ECW influence was really, really heavy. Uh, so you had a lot of this, particularly on the indies, a lot of guys wearing the, the ripped t-shirts and the jean shorts, and they weren't even wearing wrestling boots, they maybe wearing like magnums or combat boots with a wrestling right. sole on them. Mm -hmm. And so the first time that I wrestled in Saskatchewan, and I think I was like in the fifth match and I was the first guy on the card to go out with wrestling gear on. And it was so different and it was just a little pair of black trunks. And uh, it, the people had such a strong reaction to that, that there was actually like a chant started saying, who wears short shorts? Vance wears short shorts. <laughs> and it was just like, it, it, it was overpowering. And so, uh, you know, they said, well, geez, you know, if you showed up and they had reacted that strongly to a pair of plain black trunks, imagine what would happen if you showed up next time with a pair of canary yellow trunks and you do the tearaways and uh, boom, now you got these bright yellow trunks that are obnoxious. And then from there, it was like, okay, well, if yellow worked, you know, what's a step up from yellow in terms of obnoxious level, neon pink. Uh, and, and then just sort of like, and then, okay. then you know, let's make it underwear. And let's put the word beefy as large as we can across the back of those trunks. And it just, uh, you know, it was a, an idea that that caught fire very quickly and you know 20 years later it still hasn't gone stale no it's great my kid said to me on the weekend dad why is he wearing a pink underwear <laughs> i don't know what to tell him this is yeah. the way it looks great chance his son uh we call him flying rains uh he was very vocal that night um i was telling chance i think he contributed to the uh to the ladies match a lot like he actually helped them tell that story but man, sure. when you came by with that belt and you stared him in the eye, that was the first time he was quiet all night. Uh, <laughs> at the end of the show there, yeah. At I don't the end of the that. show. Yeah. yeah, yeah. Um, on that note, what, what, how do you view uh, ring psychology? How, is it improved? Do you think it's it's better these days? Do you think it's still harder for the newer guys to pick up? Where, where, what's your take on psychology? I, I think that there's... I don't, I don't think that it's better or worse um, or, that, or that the young guys can't pick it up as much. I just think that there's now, the dynamic has changed so much. So when I was breaking into the wrestling business, there was one rookie to every 15 vets. And so you couldn't sneeze without somebody, you know, being, you know, within range of you to give you guidance. So every night that you're going out in a match, you, you were either wrestling with a vet or there was... Uh, you were in a tag team match and you were teamed with a vet or, you know, you were early and the vet who had to work you the next night was watching to see, you know, what you could do and what you knew so that, you know, they knew you were going to be safe with them. So you always had this like flood of input where it's like, Hey, you did this great. You did this bad. What, why don't you try this now? The, the dynamic has flipped. So, you know, for every one veteran you have in the locker room, you have 15 rookies. And so even if you want to give them your full attention, there's just too much. Uh, there's just not enough time in a day, right? Um, you know, all-star wrestling, you know, that's the locker room I'm familiar with. 
uh, and thrash wrestling, there's a lot of carryover of, of the, the talent roster. So that's what I can speak to. But you have a lot of guys who um, have the potential to rise above, uh, just like some of those names you mentioned earlier on in, in the program. Um, Jace Darcy, Braden Goss, Sean Gaston, um, uh, Mustafa Jordan, who you saw wrestling with Adam Ryder, Adam Ryder himself. Yeah, yeah. So you have all of these guys that, you know, just sort of on the cusp of greatness. Uh, they're hungry to learn, um, you know, and they just they just soak it up like a sponge. And so mm-hmm. you're seeing, you know, even in the way that they're now able to deliver interviews, mm-hmm. they've, they're, they're picking it up and they understand, you know, it's not who can deliver the most clever lines in two minutes in an interview. That interview is designed to entice people into the seats to watch the matches. So what do you need to say? How do you need to deliver that message? So they want to buy a ticket to see you. Mm-hmm. And I think there's, there's really, we haven't even begun to see how great they're going to get yet. And uh, yeah. it's an exciting prospect to watch. Oh, fantastic. Yeah, I know. I mean, I, for the, for me anyways, that was my first show in a couple of years, unfortunately with everything that's been going on. So it was really nice to be there. It's nice to see some of these young young guys coming up and uh, working. It was like, I'll be honest, I was not bored. I, I enjoyed every match, every every story had something positive coming out of it. Um, how long has Mustafa been wrestling for? Mustafa uh, trained with Drew Onyx at the okay. Torture Chamber Pro Wrestling School in Montreal. Mm. So he's been wrestling for about six years. Oh, okay, okay. Um, and in, yeah. in that time, he's already been to Australia, Ireland. Mm-hmm. Uh, this was his first trip to Vancouver. So oh, okay. uh, pretty exciting, you know, to yeah. introduce him to uh, the fans here. Yeah, and it was really cool. I was really intrigued by him. Uh, just he's got that look. I just just needs to fill out maybe a little bit more, or you know, sure. but, but but he's uh, he looks really good. I like I like what I saw from him. And Sean Gaston, I thought he was really good too. Um, yeah. His yes. interaction with the crowd, just we you guys work together. Um, that was really enjoyable, man. It was a really good night. Thank you, You've had over 1,500 matches. What are some of the matches that stand out the most to you over your illustrious career? You know, I think, you know, some of my favorite matches, um, you know, I, I try to avoid listing off the matches with the name guys because it feels like a gimme. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, I would say all time, my favorite series of matches was uh, when I was working with Kyle Sebastian pretty regularly. Mm-hmm. You know, Kyle was a guy you know, very much like a Kenny Omega where you show him something once and he just owns it, just a natural athlete. And mm-hmm. um, so, you know, when I was working with him, it was, it was also, you know, let's, let's see how far this guy can go in terms of his ability, but uh, also, you know, being that humbling presence in the locker room to make sure that he never got too high on his own hype. Uh, so I was, you know, in the ring, you know, some great performances with Kyle and, and it almost became almost like a, a brotherly rivalry where we would hit each other a little bit harder than you might hit somebody else because you want to see how much they can take and they, and you would give it back. Uh, but, you know, behind the scenes, you know, I love to torment Kyle Sebastian and, uh, and rib him relentlessly um, because those are the types of, of things that just, you know, bring them back to reality, you know, especially when you go out and you've had a main event match in front of, you know, 800 or 1200 people like we did in Newfoundland. Uh, okay. Well, immediately after that, then let's, let's decompress that, uh, that um, the myth of the superstar status where now the bell has rung. 
our gear is now tucked away and we're just two human beings now again. Uh, so let me rib you one on one like an individual. How long does it take to come down after a night? You know, it, it depends on the match. Um, you know, Saturday. When you have, like, like I had a, a, a great match Friday night in Vernon right. uh, against Jace Darcy. Mm -hmm. And a very physical match. Uh, but I was still feeling great on Monday from Friday night. Okay, uh, okay. You know, and you could see it, you know, whether, whether guys were in Ver Vernon with Thrash or in Vancouver with NEW, both those shows on Friday night were sold out. And yeah. that positive energy carried over and you could see it, the guys coming into Abbotsford and then going out and seeing that pretty well every seat in the house was full. Yeah. You, you know, the, that energy in the locker room before the show even starts, like guys wanted to go out and tear the house down. That's awesome. Uh, man. And so that's, you know, fantastic. No, it's great. Uh, speaking of which, there's a lot of promotions here running out of the lower mainland and on the island now, a lot more than I actually thought. Uh, how do you choose where you want to work and uh, what's that process like? Do you approach them? Do they approach you? I mean, you have stature now. So where do you decide you want to go? Because you're doing work with uh, Can-Am Wrestling as well. Yeah, I think for me now, at, at this stage of my career, uh, you know, because at, at my age, uh, WWE is not calling to offer me a contract. Right. Uh, you know, and it, you know, I'm under no illusions about that. So sure. it's not about, you know, getting as much ring time as possible because one day they may call and you want to be ready. So for me now, it is more on uh, who do I enjoy being around? Mm -hmm. um, so, you know, yeah, I might get inquiries from a promoter from time to time saying, will you come work for me? Yeah, you know what? The money might be on par with somewhere else. It might be better, but uh, I know I'm not going to enjoy uh, working with you. So I'm gonna I'm gonna decline that. Mm. Um, you know, uh, All Star Wrestling. Uh, you know, Michelle Starr and I have been working together since 2002. Sure. Um, you know, we haven't always gotten along. Uh, you know, sometimes we butted heads. You know, you know, tremendously, and there's been periods of time during our uh, relationship where we've gone months without talking to each other because we're so passionate about our position on whatever issue. Uh, but uh, all-star wrestling, what I really love about uh, all-star is that it is a very old school, uh, family friendly, good guys versus bad guys environment. Um, you know, and I dig that, you know, as a performer and also as a dad, right. This is a, a show that I could bring my own kids to, and not be worried about what they're going to see, uh, you know, you, you know, outside of maybe some colorful language they pick up from the crowd. Yeah. And then we're discussing that, uh, yeah, we don't say those words around mom. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, uh, Can-Am Wrestling is also a company that I have a long history with. You know, I started with them in 1997 and, and toured the Northwest Territories with them in February, uh, which is most punishing conditions you can ever experience as a human being <laughs> or as a wrestler. Oh, sure. uh, so it's great to see them back up and running and, and, you know, they have a very similar philosophy and the way that they're putting together their program. So that's great. Uh, thrash yeah. wrestling in the Okanagan. Uh, I absolutely love those guys. Uh, you know, when Nick Solansky first started promoting, um, you know, they had kind of started, you know, from very backyard roots, like they were doing like this extreme backyard wrestling where they were doing incredibly dangerous stunts. 
uh, and Nick made the decision to say, you know, what, we want to make this legitimate. We want to go pro. And a lot of wrestlers I remember at that time in, in the lower mainland were, you know, almost like uh, elitist snobs saying, you know, we don't want to deal with thrash. Those guys are backyard and I better than that. So I was one of the first vets to say, no, I'll go work with them. And, uh, you know, in whatever year that was, you guys have the paperwork, you'll know. But, uh, um, you know, and, and now to see how far the company has come, like you would, you know, if you go and watch a thrash wrestling show, you would never know that that was their, their beginnings. Um, you know, some of the guys they have, you know, I was, you know, quick to get done my match. So I go watch the rest of the matches and you've got wrestlers there like Colin Cutler who are highly underrated and uh, just tore the house down. Uh, Davey Deals, Camaro Cope, um, you know, uh, Braden Goss, Jay Starcy, you know, just, just a tremendous locker room uh, with, with guys with great attitudes and are hungry to learn and, and produce for the people. Cool. Max, who were some of your favorite wrestlers growing up that made you want to get into the business when you were a kid or a teenager? Yeah, I think in, initially for me, it was, you know, characters like uh, Bret Hart and uh, Jake the Snake Roberts. Uh, and then, you know, as I got in, then you start to understand the mechanics of what it is we do. And, um, you know, the, the, um, the mindset of drawing people into the crowd. Uh, so I would say at that point, when I started to become a wrestler and particularly very early in my career, when they turned me heel, uh, Roddy Piper became almost like, you know, my sole study material. Uh, because it was, you know, Roddy Piper was a tremendous wrestler, but he was never known as being a wrestler. His, his reputation is for being a talker, but you always wanted to see Roddy Piper get his ass kicked. And so you take this guy, Roddy Piper, who was 5'11", 220 pounds, and you put him against, you know, six foot seven, 300 pound Hulk Hogan in the main event of the first WrestleMania. And this is believable to people, right? He, he had such a larger than life character that this, the stature was believable that he would have a chance against, you know, the giant Hogan. Um, and so, you know, it was fantastic to incorporate, you know, some of his stuff into my repertoire. But then in 2011, when I had a chance to work with Roddy Piper on uh, the reality TV series, world of hurt, and actually spend three weeks on set with Piper and really like get inside his head. That was uh, an unreal experience. That's really what cool. That, what do you like? You know, Piper is uh, not at all what you'd expect because on, mm -hmm. on camera, he's this very, you know, manic, uh, hard to follow his train of thought, you know, when you're trying to watch his promos. Uh, but Roddy Piper was one of the most genuine down-to-earth people that I ever met, you know, and just so um, entirely and unnecessarily respectful uh, of the people around him. Um, he, you know, he gave me a great gift, um, you know, on that show. I don't know if you guys ever saw the, the show World of Hurt, but I know. there was, I there was some, some wrestlers that were involved who, um, through the process of editing, it was, it was intended to be this reality uh, TV series of, of kind of like an advanced wrestling boot camp. So you've got experienced wrestlers now going in to work with Roddy Piper, uh, and he's going to take you to the next level. Well, nobody's getting contracts out of this. We have no illusions of that. Um, but through the process of editing and production, you know, some of the wrestlers that participated were made to look 
horribly bad. And, um, you know, Piper, through the way that he interacted with me very subtly on camera, made it impossible for the producers to do anything to me negatively, um, which was, um, you know, I don't think necessarily planned or intended. It just, the way it worked out, the way that he set the stage for me, it made it impossible for me to fail. Uh, and so I can't thank him enough for that. Is there a way that fans can still watch the show World of Hurt? Is there anywhere we could find that online or streaming or anywhere? Um, I think, you know, in, in some cases, uh, because the, even the network that ran it went under. Um, okay. I'm trying you to do. remember, but uh, I can send you guys a link. I have uh, my episode um, because when, they, when we, they filmed it, my son had just been born. And uh, I don't know whether it was their suggestion or Piper's suggestion to incorporate my family into uh, my storyline, okay. which uh, is something that throughout my career, I've always been very, very careful to delineate uh, and, and keep my family out, especially as a heel, because there's a lot of crazy fans out there that oh, yeah. uh, we just, I just don't need them around, around my kids. Um, so when we included my son who was three months old in this production, I wanted to make sure that whatever was delivered, um, wasn't going to create any stress for me in real life. Right. So, uh, I was able to go and get some copies of the, of my episode, uh, on DVD and, and I've got it uploaded in two parts on, on YouTube. So I can send you that link. Yeah, please do. Yeah. Uh, how does, how do the uh, children feel about daddy being a wrestler? You know, they're, they're, uh, they don't really care. No. It's just <laughs> um, your job. Yeah, it's just something dad does. Uh, you know, most times I'll say, I'm going to wrestling tonight. You guys want to come? Nah, we just want to stay home and watch YouTube. Uh, <laughs> you know, every now and then there'll be uh, maybe a wrestler that I'm traveling with that, uh, you know, comes to stay at the house. And uh, they think that's kind of cool. But, you know, they really haven't had kind of that, you know, starstruck moment. Uh, years ago, this would be about 2003. I was doing shows for that time, ECCW, uh, when Michelle Starr was the main man there. And we were doing a show in Auburn, Washington on the Friday night. And then we had to come back. I don't, I don't remember how long that drive was, maybe three or four hours back to Surrey. And then we were headed to Vancouver Island on the first ferry in the morning. Oh, wow. We had a uh, honky tonk man with us on that trip. And so by the time we got across the border and, and everything, he said, there's no point getting a hotel room for the three hours I'm going to get to sleep. He goes, let's just go to your place and I'll sleep on your couch. And uh, I remember, uh, you know, coming home, you know, trying to come in really quietly late at night and I go into my room and get into bed. And uh, I tell my wife, yeah, the honky tonk man sleeping on the couch. She says, yeah, right. And uh, so she got up in the morning. Sure enough, there's the greatest intercontinental champion of all time crashed out on the couch. So. Uh, it's created one of her favorite stories ever because uh, she said, uh, Hey, would you like some breakfast? And he said, no, thanks, darling. I got a beer. And uh, <laughs> away we went off to the next show. That's it. So um, then you, you broke the 30 year record of Leo Burke on the weekend. Why don't you tell the fans about that? Your title reign is 42. It's pretty impressive. Yeah. You know what? It's, it's kind of one of those stats that, uh, that, kind of snuck up on me. I wasn't really aware that I was in the running. And then very recently, somebody had tracked it down and, and brought it to my attention. So um, uh, Leo Burke, uh, who I think is probably 
you know, one of the greatest wrestlers of all time, uh, particularly in the top five Canadian wrestlers of all time. Um, very prolific champion as well. So over the course of his career from 1966 to, you know, about the mid nineties, uh, he held 42, uh, had 42 title reigns uh, wow. for championships. He was like a seven time stampede wrestling, North American champion, multi-time tag team and heavyweight champion in the Maritimes. Uh, but altogether, and that's just his Canadian stuff, not including what he was doing internationally, uh, 42 title reigns in Canada. And um, um, over the course of my career, now I've held uh, 43 championships, 43 title reigns. Um, so it's uh, kind of surreal, actually, to, to, to think about that, uh, that I've been doing it that long and that, uh, you know, this record that is that has stood for 30 years has now been broken. Very cool, man. Well done, dude. So now that you know this, do you do you know who's uh, behind you? Um, I think I think Mentolo out of Winnipeg. Yeah, you trained be, him as uh, well, right? Yeah, I, I gave him his start. Uh, he was another guy that uh, he came in with a very specific idea of of the direction he wanted to go. Uh, very heavily influenced. By that time, you know, in the mid '90s, when he was looking to get into wrestling, tape trading was a huge thing, and now you had access to uh, tapes from Japan, in particular. Yeah. And so he came in with that ECW slash Japan influence, uh, and that's really what he wanted to do. And of course, over the you know the, the span of his career, now he's wrestled like nine tours in in Japan, uh, also wrestled in Mexico for extended periods of time. Uh, and he's just, uh, you know, I feel like, you know, I just saw him in December in Can-Am and I feel like even now he's just coming into his prime. So, you know, he's probably still got another 10 or 15 years ahead of him to, uh, awesome. to keep rocking it. Yeah. Your match with him is the featured match on Slam Wrestling episode six, actually. Okay. From December. Yeah. Uh, so I got, so I'm watching. A, yeah. There was a period of time, you know, in the. I'd say like about 1998, 99 in Winnipeg, where, uh, you know, I was wrestling in about, you know, 190, 195. And being under 200 pounds at that time, uh, most promoters said that you had to wrestle as a cruiserweight because that was what was sort of on vogue, you know, with WCW at that time. And I hated it because, uh, you know, it's, it's not the style of wrestling that I do, but, you know, you sort of developed you know, a, a series of, of Lucha style moves and maneuvers that I could do, you know, passively, but mentally and I probably had like a series of, you know, 40 or 50 matches over the course of that year where we were, you know, almost married to each other, you know, whether wrestling for Tony Candelo as the two small guys on, on the show uh, or, you know, on the, on the East coast, we, you know, we were booked together with Emile Dupree. Um, so when I saw him in Calgary, I, I actually like called one of these exchanges and said, yeah, we do this, start with the knuckle lock and we do this, 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 this. And uh, we kind of laughed. He, he chuckled and said, I'm surprised you remember that. I said, I am too, because, you know, someone will say, hey, uh, let's do the same thing we did in Penticton last week. I'd be like, I don't know what that was. <laughs> but some of these things from, uh, from way back, uh, I remember very well. Uh, How's your body, body feeling after all these years? Any crazy injuries, bangs and bruises still? How do you feel? Well, there's there's the the real answer, and if my as long as my wife isn't waiting on the other side of that door, kind of listening to what I'm saying, then I can be more honest. Uh, yeah, you know what? I definitely uh, am feeling it, 
and uh, you know it it it, uh, it influences the way that I'm going to perform uh, in the ring. Um, the the trouble with my lower back and the surgeries I've had there don't bother me as much as the deficit in my neck. Uh, so, you know, after, you know, a night of, you know, as you might imagine, suplexes and body slams, right. The, like right from the base of my ears down to, you know, sort of like the, the root of my, uh, my traps, uh, you know, we're, we're in big trouble. <laughs> uh, but, uh, it's, it's a lot of, you know, when you're young and you, and you don't get hurt, you know, you go out and do the thing and yeah, we can wrestle 26 days in a row without stretching or any, you know, preventative maintenance, now there's a lot more attention on that in between show days, uh, you know, making sure that I'm taking care of myself as best I can. Uh, you know, I may, I may still have five or six more years left in me. That's awesome. That's cool. awesome. Um, you're, you're extremely busy. You're, you're, you're writing. Uh, you have one book out already. You have another book coming up pretty soon. Uh, last time you told me you were just in the process of getting something finalized. Uh, where does it stand and when is it going to come out? What's it called? Does it have a working title? Yeah, absolutely. Uh, you know, 10 years ago, um, and the, I did uh, Wrestling in the Canadian West, which was sort of a, a, as complete a history as had ever been assembled on wrestling in Western Canada. Um, because really, when people talked about wrestling in Western Canada, they talked about Stu Hart and Stampede Wrestling. And that is definitely a big piece, but it was only about 20% of everything that's happened in Western Canada. So it was really important to tell the story uh, about, you know, here's Vancouver and here's what Vancouver has contributed. And here's some of the really interesting things about the people and players involved with wrestling in Vancouver. Uh, and Winnipeg has largely been ignored, uh, you know, in wrestling history, other than the fact that it was a stop for the AWA out of Minneapolis uh, for about 20 years. So when I put that together, um, you know, I was really excited about it and it was a big project. And I thought, you know what, that's, that's a monster. I'll never dive into that again. And then fast forward, you know, 10 years to a global pandemic where now everything you like to do for your mental health, uh, is, is on hold. Uh, you're, you're not supposed to go out anywhere. And, and, uh, so I, I started to uh, dig in on, you know, a sequel to that book. And that initially that's what it was going to be just an update to wrestling in the Canadian West. And I thought, well, if we're going to commit that effort, then let's look at one that's a national representation of professional wrestling. So this covers everything from coast to coast in Canada, region by region, uh, from 1930 to the present. Uh, wow. So it starts with, uh, the, the book is called Uncontrolled Chaos, uh, Canada's Remarkable Professional Wrestling Legacy. Uh, it starts with uh, the first 100 pages are on the territory era of wrestling. So it starts with the East Coast and we work our way West. So you've got you know, East 1930 to 1990, then Quebec, Ontario, the Prairies, Alberta and, and BC. Uh, a chapter in the middle that talks about the WWE's global expansion and what that meant for Canadian wrestling and how that changed everything. Uh, but uh, one of the things that I'm really excited about this book is that you know, about half of it is devoted to the independents. Because uh, typically that gets, you know, summarized very quickly as, yeah, independent wrestling goes on and lots of things are happening. Yeah. And that's your paragraph and that's all that's represented. So this book uh, covers or acknowledges at least uh, more than 200 promotions uh, of past and present mm -hmm. and uh, has a title history uh, section for more than 600 championships uh, that have existed in Canada. 
Um, and then uh, the book closes with a piece that I'm, I'm really excited about. And it's probably been the piece that's taken the longest to put together is, you know, any wrestling book you read has lots of uh, anecdotes. Uh, and that's kind of the history that, well, one time this happened in Toronto. Uh, but this book, actually, I've, I've taken the time from that, you know, directory of 56,000 wrestling shows uh, to break it down and actually create some stats and records uh, that uh, will make great wrestling trivia for, for people. So it includes a list of the top 50 drawing shows of all time in Canada. It includes um, a ranked list of every Canadian to hold a world championship ranked by number of days they were champion. It's got a, a listing of the longest title reigns, most title reigns, um, both for uh, men and women, as well as tag teams. And then it closes with a statistical ranking of the top 100 men, top 100 women, and top 100 tag teams in Canadian oh. wrestling history. Very cool. Very good. I, do you follow current product? If so, what's your thoughts on it? Who do you like to watch? What are you watching, if at all? You know what? I, because of because I'm the only wrestling fan in my household, very rarely am I watching it live. Uh, so you maybe get, uh, you get something on the PVR and watch it later on. Mm -hmm. But uh, because I've got so many projects on the go, very rarely am I sitting still. So either mm -hmm. we're you know out at a wrestling show or we're out you know shooting our promos for the upcoming dates uh, yeah. or finishing up the book. You know today uh, now we're into uh, layout so. Uh, right now on my other screen here, I'm looking at up to page 137 now has all the photos in place uh, of 448 pages. So that's wow. probably the, you know, the when, next week's project. When do you think the book will be released roughly? Um, I'm hopeful that uh, layout will be done and it'll be back in the publisher's hands by the end of next week. Uh, and I'm hoping the book will be out in the summer. Looking forward to it. We would love to have you back on when that happens so we can uh, promote the book with you. Yeah, you know, and it, it's funny. It's, it's, it's almost like, uh, you know, when you're, when you're single, you don't seem to have any action out there. And then as soon as you've got something going on, maybe you start dating a nice girl, then all the other offers come sniffing around. And I find it's kind of the same with wrestling is, you know, we had two years off where nothing was really happening. There weren't really any projects on the go. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, I'm going to do this book project. Well, then I get approached about, you know, something else. So um, um, just before Christmas, uh, a good friend of mine, Ted Gordienko uh, from Vancouver Island, got in touch with me. And his uncle, George, was one of the greatest Canadian wrestlers ever. And uh, Lou Thez called George Gordienko the greatest Canadian wrestler of all time. Wow. And uh so just before Christmas, Ted said, uh, I'm wondering if you would like to take over this collection of George's memorabilia and be the custodian of his legacy. And uh, so this, uh, there's a big stack of binders right here behind the title belts that is all George Gordienko clippings and, and uh, memorabilia from the 1940s right through to the 70s across 18 countries. Um, and it's a story that's remarkable in itself and just... Uh, is begging to be told effectively. So this weekend we start uh, getting some of the B-roll footage on the documentary on the career of George Gordienko. That's so awesome. That's, uh, awesome. that's the next project in the hopper. So awesome. I'm very excited awesome. to see that come together. 
Faz, uh, I'm just curious, you get to work with a lot of new and upcoming talent, uh, maybe All-Star Wrestling or, or Thrash Wrestling, as you pointed out. Um, who should the fans be looking out for? Who 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 should we be watching out? I think it's uh, I think it's a very exciting list. Um, to me, it seems like Adam Ryder is on the verge of a major breakout. Yeah, uh, he is uh, a world class talent. Now we're seeing that he's starting to get some opportunities in Defy in Seattle. Mm -hmm. uh, I think it's only a matter of time before somebody realizes they've been sleeping on this guy for too long. Uh, and he gets a major opportunity. Uh, you know, in terms of the guys coming up, um, you know, I'm seeing a lot of good, good up and coming talent coming out of the, uh, the Johnny Devine school in Alberta, uh, the strong style wrestling Academy. He's doing some really great stuff there. Mm -hmm. I had a chance to see, uh, you know, get a little bit of a, a preview of that, you know, when I was in Calgary in December, in terms of guys here locally, I would say that probably, uh, you know, the most promising guys that, that people should be keeping an eye on are, and in no particular order, uh, Jace Darcy, Braden Goss, and Angelica. Okay, yeah. okay, fantastic. Yeah, we got to see all three of them on the weekend. Uh, very exciting. Very, very impressive. Yeah. Very impressive. Um, I guess I guess ultimately, at the end of the day, we're really lucky and fortunate to, to uh, have a lot of opportunities now in, in wrestling and, um, you know, really really excited for the future for for our local scene in the pacific northwest and in canada for that matter but speaking of the pacific northwest and maybe i'm just planting some seeds here but there's a guy by the name scotty mack who calls himself the most decorated wrestler in the pacific northwest but you know what i'm talking to the most decorated professional canadian wrestler nationally um i don't know is there something there we could possibly see yeah <laughs> Well, you know, I, uh, you know, Scotty Mack and I had one of the, the definitely the bloodiest match of my career in September 2003 at Bridgeview Hall in Surrey. Yeah. Um, we, we haven't locked horns since then, but, you know, it wouldn't, it wouldn't surprise me at all if at some point in time uh, he needs a reality check and I'll be more than glad to help him out with that. Oh wow, that's that's okay. Well, we'll pass the message on to Mr. Mack. Um, Vance, <laughs> I'd like to do a little segment. I'm going to play a name game. I'm going to throw out some names about some wrestlers and just tell me the first thought that pops into your head if you don't mind. All right. Okay. Rocket Randy Tyler. Underrated. Agreed. Ladies' choice. Hell of a guy. <laughs> Very good. Uh, um. Hmm. What, uh, Michelle Starr. Uh, underappreciated. Yeah, agreed. Um, cremator. Uh, he, here's a guy that uh, the Pacific Northwest. He should be a, a much more influential player in BC wrestling as a whole than he's been allowed to be yet. Yeah. And what about Billy Swade? Billy Swade, I have known uh, since his very earliest days training in the wrestling industry. Uh, un unbelievable talent uh, yeah. beyond measure. Cool. Thank you. So I wanted to throw that at you for a little bit, catch you off guard. <laughs> no problem. Casper, sure. uh, there's a one fella I can't, I, for some reason, I completely am drawing a blank. He's, he's doing big things in Japan right now, but he is also um, a local guy. What Do you help me out here? Who am I thinking of? 
You're talking about LP? LP, yeah. Your, your thoughts on Alphantasma? Alphantasma is doing great things. Uh, you know, and, and uh, probably we haven't seen each other. We haven't been in the same space since uh, 2007. Uh, and the, and the last time that we, uh, were in the same place, we had an unfortunate interaction with one another. Uh, and so, (laughs) Mm -hmm. uh, you know, what I would say is that, uh, you know, nobody can be more excited for his continued success than I am. Uh, and should our paths ever cross, I'll be glad to tell him that in person. Fantastic. Fantastic. So what's next for Mr. Beefy fitness himself, where can we find you next? Uh, what's your schedule like? And yeah. Well, I'm very excited because uh, next thing up for me is March 19th in Vancouver, the Trans Canada Championship Tournament. Yeah. Uh, where I'm looking to add title number 44 to my record, wow. uh, which would be a sixth uh, Trans Canada Championship uh, title reign for me. My name is already on the belt uh, from my previous uh, my previous runs. Uh, but, uh, you know, as I, you know, try to communicate to people, uh, you know, when they see me live, I'm still very much in the hunt. Uh, so that's coming up March 19th, uh, all-star wrestling will be back in hope on March 26th. Uh, and then I will be in uh, Penticton for thrash wrestling on April the 1st. Fantastic. Cool. Fantastic. So what kind of schedule are you keeping these days now? Like uh, how many dates a year are you trying to work or are you just working as you go? Uh, you know what, it's, it's just kind of being open to what opportunities exist. Uh, you never, you never know when the, when, when an opportunity is going to arise. In fact, uh, just yesterday I had an inquiry about an opportunity in Montreal. Um, there's been some discussion this year about a potential trip to the uh, Maritimes over the course of the year sometime. So it's, uh, you know, I, I just never know. Uh, I'm probably taking more dates than my wife would uh, like me to take at this at this stage in the game, uh, but as you know, as long as I'm, I'm or, you know around the right uh, folks in the locker room uh, and working with promoters that I respect and appreciate, then uh, I'll stay as busy as uh, as demand allows. That's awesome, uh, Vance. We want to say thank you so much for for the time, for your energy, for your positive vibes. We really appreciate it. Thank you for educating us as well. And um, is there any messages that you want to send your fans? Is there anything you want to tell anybody? Here's your time. You know what? I, I think just the message to the, uh, to the, the Canadian wrestling industry and particularly the BC wrestling industry. I mean, we've now had uh, a conversation here for more than an hour and I didn't even bury anybody. <laughs> so uh, that, well, I might've set a, I might've set a personal record uh, for not burying anyone. Well, if you want, here's your time. we'll save that for the next time fantastic thank you very much uh so yeah once again i want to say thank you so much on behalf of myself and trance michaels uh a great conversation uh, a lot of insight a lot of great stuff coming out of this conversation today i'm really happy with it and uh, i just want to say thank you thank you thank you sir thank you vance i've been a big fan of yours for about 15 years so i really appreciate you coming on and keep doing what you're doing man thank you Awesome. It's my pleasure, guys, and uh, I'll be uh, I'll be tuning in uh, to other uh, to other episodes as well. Fantastic. Thank you so much.
Welcome back, everybody. Thank you very much for listening to that wonderful interview that we did with Vance Nevada, Mr. Beefy Goodness himself, the man's an historian. He's in a walking encyclopedia of information and knowledge. Uh, we're looking forward to his book coming out here, hopefully this spring. It's going to be an amazing. Hopefully we can get him back on to kind of promote that. And uh, yeah, I'm looking forward to that. Looking forward to watching him later this month, uh, March 19 in Vancouver fighting for a all-star wrestling again. That's going to be a really good show. Sam and Chance will be there to watch that. And uh, hopefully we can get some, you know, more more clips and stuff like that this time around. So we'll, we'll try to build that up. Uh, what was your take on the interview the other times? I thought it was a great interview. Uh, we had some good questions. He had some great answers. He's a very, very nice man. I appreciate him coming on. He's a wrestling encyclopedia. If you want to know anything about wrestling, give Mr. Beefy a goodness a call because he's probably got the answer. Fantastic. Yeah. So again, a big shout out and a big thank you to Vance Nevada, Mr. BV Goodness, for taking the time out of his busy schedule to share with us so much information and so much knowledge. Uh, all that being said, remember this weekend, we have AEW Revolution happening this Sunday. It's not a Saturday show. It's a Sunday show. So uh, try to catch that. We will try to come. We will come back at you guys with a review on that show. Um once again, a big shout out to, all, to everyone listening. Thank you for letting us in your ears. We know there's a lot of options out there for everybody. So thank you very much for taking the time out of your busy schedules to listen to us. Um, you can find us on Apple and Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. Please leave a review. And uh, that means a lot. All those kind of little things will allow us to do bigger and greater things. Uh, we're also on YouTube, so please, you know, at Tap and Chance, so please um, subscribe and like. Again, all these little things that you guys can do for us will allow us to do so much more for you guys. You can find us on Instagram and Twitter at Samp underscore Chance. You can also find us on Facebook at Samp and Chance Pod. That being said, it's been a wonderful night. Thank you very much, everybody. My name is Bobby Sampson. And in the words of the great ACDC, for those who downloaded our podcast, we salute you. Thank you. Have a great night, everybody. And in the words of my good friend here, Mr. Iron Sheik, be safe and be humble. Have a great night, everybody. <laughs>